rock, and perhaps the most important question that will influence the top of the draft. Will the Bears move on from Justin Fields? The Chicago Bears select. All right, welcome to the Windy City War Room Podcast, Episode 3. Your hosts, Tim, Brian, and Alyssa here for another fun week conversation of uh, Bears offseason NFL draft. And, um, you know, for not having played a game in a month, every single week has been uh, very, very exciting. Uh, Chicago's finalized most of their coaching staff. There still might be one or two minor hires that are out there. All of the head coaching options of the... Other teams are now hired. All the GM spots are now filled. You know, we're getting into those last offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator positions. And, of course, we have a Super Bowl with no NFC North teams in there. So uh, 49ers and Chiefs is just, a you know, a fun matchup that uh, <clears throat> that, that is there. Uh, big shout-out to the 49ers for just crushing every other one of the NFC North's uh, teams. I'm not going to say that Matt Eberflus is 1-0 against them, but we can go ahead and move on to <laughs> Yeah, next conversation. So let's hop in. Um, let's talk through. So we had some big hires on the Bears coaching staff this week, and we can start it off either way you want to. We can talk NFL hires or we can talk Bears hires first. So somebody can take it from there and what they want to talk about. I think we should start with the NFL hires. Let's knock the NFL out first and then kind of pop into the uh, the Bears uh, hires later on. All right, go with it. So who are the last hires of the last week that we've had? So we had Dan Quinn with the Commanders, which I believe was the very last vacancy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then we had uh, Seattle hire Ben McDonald from, uh, or Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald, yeah. I have Ben Ben Johnson on the brain, just like the Commanders (laughs) do and deny. (laughs) But uh, Mike McDonald, who was the Ravens defensive coordinator, he was the Seahawks hire. And when the music stopped playing, no Bill, no Vrabel, no Ben Johnson. Um, no P. Carroll. So a lot of names still out there for those of you still holding out hope that Flus will be fired eventually. You got your wish, uh, at least delayed another year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Dan Quinn is a good hire in the consolation prize uh, qualification because Washington can say whatever they wanted. There's been a lot of conflicting reports about it, but they clearly wanted him. If they wanted to hire Dan Quinn, they could have done that two weeks ago. So they yeah. were waiting on Ben Johnson. They tried to do damage control, which I get. Um, and I think Mike McDonald was a pretty good uh, hire for Seattle. I think a lot of people thought they were going to go maybe offense and do like, and they could still do a reset at quarterback uh, there with Gino, but I think he'll bring in, he already brought in Leslie Frazier as an assistant head coach. Uh, so those teams are going to start assembling their staffs uh, as we speak. Yeah, the, the Dan Quinn hire is interesting to me because uh, as you already kind of highlighted, he wasn't their first choice. They can try to say he was, but they were on a plane to see Ben Johnson when the news broke out that Ben Johnson was staying in Detroit. Um, so I think it could have maybe some implications in the draft. It's clear that Dan Quinn is not their preferable hiring. Um, he was probably their third option. I think they even preferred Mike McDonald, McDonald over <laughs> Dan Quinn. We're all getting McDonald's name wrong. I'm sorry, Mike. That's a um, tough one. <laughs> and, and <McDonald's> um, so, <laughs> Yeah, right. There's too many Mike mix in the league. Uh, so, yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see if they go with Drake May um, because of this. Dan Quinn is probably nothing more than a bridge coach at this point, unless he blows them away and does something fantastic. But I don't think Dan Quinn's going to be in their long-term plans. 
You have Peters, who came from San Francisco. Yes, he did trade up for Trey Lance, but he also learned how to make a successful team with Mystery Relevant and Brock Purdy. And their owner, Adam Peters, is part of the ownership group with the 76ers that hold trust the process, you know, build the team. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if they maybe pass on a quarterback and maybe trade out. That might be an option now with with what they have because they don't have Ben Johnson for Drake May. So they might decide let's just build the team and get a quarterback once we're ready. But Or they might not. They might just say let's just take Drake May or Jaden Daniels. But I think that's an interesting conversation now with Dan Quinn and with the commanders. I mean, the more exciting thing for the commanders is, of course, who their offensive coordinator is going to be. I mean, that's going to be a big thing that comes in. I mean, the big the big news over the weekend, of course, uh, Cliff Kingsbury was into Las Vegas, had, you know, verbally accepted an offer and backed out after Dan Quinn got the job. It seems like he's the heavy front runner there. I mean, to completely back mm-hmm. out an NFL job, you've got to feel like you've got the commander's job on the lock. So I think if they get cliff hired in i I, they're gonna go quarterback i just don't see another option there unless they do some form of surprising trade that's out there you know like uh i can't even think of it or pay for like a baker mayfield who cliff kingsbury worked with before i don't think that they're gonna get kyler or anything like that but i I think it's gonna be quarterback i mean with with where the board landed i think it's actually gonna be pretty boring with that but it's i I didn't hate the Dan Quinn hire either, but the optics of it looked terrible. I mean, clearly they they had him fly commercial home. They, you know, they waited another two days and then it just seemed like the first team that hired, you know, one of the best GM prospects was the last to hire a coach. And I think that that does look bad, but it, it's a good one. You know, and I don't think we talked about it last week as much, but, you know, of course, Harbaugh landed in Los Angeles. I had a really focus to not mm-hmm. say San Diego because I always want to say that for the Chargers. And I'm just going to say, I'm very happy he's not here after stating this weekend that JJ could go one and don't be surprising. Can you imagine <laughs> Ryan Poles having to have that verbal battle with Jim Harbaugh on I'm not going to draft JJ McCarthy at pick one? So, you know, he may be an excellent coach. He may lead them to a Super Bowl, but that is just one of the factors of personnel say of why he's not a Chicago Bear. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I will say with the biggest, sorry, Brian. Uh, okay. The the biggest thing just for me with Harbaugh going to the Chargers, it meant that Ian Cunningham was not going to be that GM. And as it turns out, Ian Cunningham is going to be staying with the Bears another year at least, uh, which I think is fantastic, uh, especially with this big of an offseason ahead of us. Having Brian Poles having his right-hand man with him is is more beneficial than the two third-round comp picks we could have gotten. Yeah, I think I think the Quinn hire actually, like again, the optics are terrible. Like you have your coach interviewed – before you even have the press conference, well, because he's in the airport hanging out. But I think there's a lot of recency bias with Quinn because the last optics people have of him was his defense getting shredded by Green Bay. He did take a team to a pretty almost insurmountable lead in the Super Bowl, but then we know what happened. But he knows how to build a staff. Um, his offensive coordinator last time was Kyle Shanahan, so I think he has an eye for that. I think they'll do be very competitive, relatively speaking, compared to what they were. It's just what direction are they going to go, like you both alluded to. I think Kingsbury ends up there, and then I do think they're going to take a quarterback. I think Drake May is, ironically, and I know we're going to get into the quarterbacks a little bit later, I think he's following in the footsteps of Justin Herbert, where people have now overanalyzed him so much that he went from potentially being a number one overall pick to like, well, he's not even going to go in the top ten anymore. It's like, "Mm, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that. Um, Yeah, some prospect fatigue going on there. Yeah, exactly. 
<clears throat> so, and then we get some exciting, uh, exciting assistant hires that are out there. So I had to pull up the whole list of people we added, of course, former Bears uh, offensive coordinator just got a job yesterday with the uh, Raiders as well. So Luke Getzi is hired and I'm going to go ahead and mark that as a, if we trade fields, that landing space, uh, I don't think exists anymore. So Justin um, will not be in black and silver. <laughs> um, so but we can move forward with who we have hired. We're going to get a little bit about the Justin Fields debate next week. Um, we're really going to dive in QBs a lot. Um, next week, we're really going to dive into scenarios and teams and fits. And now that we have that final picture, I think it'll be a lot better to have that conversation. Um, so people that we've hired so far. So Shane Waldron, of course, we talked about our offensive coordinator. I think it's fair to say, and I was tracking this all week, and it's fascinating that we got the first pick of all the offensive coordinators that ended up getting hired. I mean, we interviewed Shane Waldron, hired him. We interviewed uh, Thomas Brown. We hired him as our passing game coordinator. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is about to take a job. We hired him. Greg Roman's rumored to be the offensive coordinator Harbaugh. We hired him. We interviewed Zach Robinson, who's the offensive coordinator for um, Atlanta right now. Uh, you know, we interviewed Liam Cohen. He's the offensive coordinator for um, Tampa Bay at this point. I should have made a note of this. It just seems like every single person we interviewed outside of Greg Olson, Clint Kubiak is another one. He's the offensive coordinator for the Saints now. Um, so Greg Olson actually ended up being the only one who didn't get a offensive coordinator job, which I think is just fascinating. And I think it really shows how good of a list Ryan Poles had going into this and Matt Eberflus and some of that. This is a good process. You know, if seven mm -hmm. out of eight people you hired are either part of your staff or an offensive coordinator and you hired the first one out of that list, that's, I mean, that's what you want to see with process, right? Yeah. And yeah. he picked and he picked us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, we can get into what that means when one of the top offensive minds on that list picks us. Um, I mean, that doesn't happen in Chicago history where we're just this hot ticket option. So I'm not, I'm not going to read too much into that today, but that's just, for a lot of us who are long-term Bears fans, it's not like, oh, let's go to Chicago. That's the place where I want to be an offensive play Colorado in my, uh, you know, to, to stake my future. But I do think it's fascinating with Ben Johnson not getting a job or opting not to get a job, you know, Slowick staying, and, you know, the best minds yep. that were hired, Canales and, you know, Callahan. I really think that nobody added a better proven play caller in the NFL this offseason than Chicago did. Um, I think that just a really strong hire, a good process. And, you know, excited for the rest of the uh, staff that we have. Um, do you guys want to talk at all about the people we added? So we added Thomas Brown. Uh, I think we talked about Kerry Joseph a bit. Chris Beatty, mm -hmm. the receivers coach out of San Diego. Chad Morton, who is with um, Waldron over in uh, Seattle. Any comments or things you guys want to break down there? Yeah, I just, I'm excited about the Thomas Brown hiring the most. Uh, he was you know, highly regarded regarded on McVay's staff. He went to Carolina, kind of, I think, was under the impression he would, you know, get play calling duties, but that was a mess. Frank Reich kept, you know, saying, I'm going to call plays. And then, no, Thomas, you can call plays. No, I'm taking plays back. Uh, so he didn't really get a fair shake with Carolina. But it's evident that, you know, the league values Thomas Brown. They view him highly. He was getting head coaching interviews. And he ended up becoming our passing game coordinator, uh, which I think is kind of a home run. Obviously, we'll see how it works out, but I'm really excited with that move. And then the the Chargers position coach, I can't remember his name again. What was it? Chris Beatty, the wide receiver coach. Yeah, yeah. I like that move too. Uh, 
you know, Keenan Allen's great receiver. Mike Williams, I think, is good when healthy. You guys know I was never the biggest Quentin Johnston fan, um, so I'm not going to put that on him because uh, I I did not think Quentin Johnson should have gone round one. But I do like the move. I think he will be good for our receivers, and he has a connection with DJ Moore. Uh, he was the Maryland receiver coach when DJ was at Maryland. So, yeah, overall, I like the moves. Yeah. I mean, again, just like we talked about with Dan Quinn, like Thomas Brown, I think you have to suspend a little recency bias. Like everybody looks at what the dumpster fire that Carolina's offense was. Uh, I would, I always want to give people credit. So I don't know who tweeted this, but in an NFLPA survey, Thomas Brown was the second ranked coordinator by players. Um, take that for what you will. Um, he also has experience with the running backs, which I think, you know, he'll help Chad Morton. Again, I'm old enough to remember Chad Morton as a player. Um, and he did good things with, you know, Kenneth Walker, Charbonnet, uh, and then the wide receiver coach that was DJ Moore's, um, you know, everybody focuses on like, well, we didn't get anything out of Quentin Johnston. Well, Joshua Palmer played pretty well. Jalen Knight had moments like you, you can't cherry pick like, well, this player sucked. And it's like, well, that player just may suck. And again, it's only (laughs) one year. Like I didn't love Quentin Johnston, but it's early. It's one year. Um, and I think, you know, they'll get stuff out of, out of him. Uh, and then, you know, Jim Dre, we already had all, we retained him and Morgan, um, Dre's down, uh, is it mobile? He was the offensive line coach. So we'll get into him a little bit more later, but yeah, I think it's a pretty good staff. Like I've lived through, you know, I think one thing that doesn't get brought up enough is when Nagy came here, who did he bring with him from KC? Nobody, you know, we talked about this great, you know, offensive mind, which, I'm saying that very tongue in cheek right now, but he brought nobody from his staff, which is highly unusual. Um, So the fact that Waldron brought some people that he's familiar with, both in Seattle and previous stops, we also kept some continuity with Morgan and Dre. Mm -hmm. It's as optimistic as you can be, you know, in February 3rd about a Bears offensive staff as I think I have been in recent memory. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great things there. And I think, you know, when, when people are coaching something and when there's a lot of people talking to a quarterback, whether they're trying to rehab fields or whether they're trying to, you know, get a rookie like a Caleb Williams to hit his ceiling. I, I think that having those relationships and coaches who have coached with each other for a lot of years means a lot, you know, terminology being the same people understanding what the expectation is. I mean, there's a lot of connections here that have different people. I think that, Hiring, again, I don't think that's the reason they hired him, but hiring DJ Moore's college coach could go a long way to mending any relationships if they do trade fields and start with somebody new. I mean, I don't think that that's a reason they did it, but I think that having that connection there and, you know, giving him somebody like that does say something, you know, to, I like being in this building. I like this coach. I've had success here. DJ Moore's already said he wants to extend here. So, and I think we hired um, the Titans offensive line coach from last year as well as an assistant um, this year, but we already had an assistant online coach. I haven't seen how that breaks down yet, Um, but just another note out there. Um, Not that the Titans wasn't the worst in the NFL last year, but I also think that they had the worst offensive line personnel. So um, I, I noted it last year, I don't get overly hot or cold for positional coaches. You know, I've seen a lot of people have come in here, great experience, hyped, and then the position group just fell apart. And I can say Tyke Tolbert, but that's a, you know, a recent example of somebody I thought would be really good. And I think that, you know, maybe he is good as just the personnel, but it just, it's really hard for us as the fan base to really judge 
is this person doing a good or bad job? I think that him being fired while some other positional coaches were being kept is the first sign that they probably think that he could have been better. Um, but yeah. I think, I think Brian hit the good trans transition piece earlier in that we had a lot of coaches um, at this week's senior bowl at the shrine bowl. I know Kerry Joseph was there. We talked about Jim Gray. I mean, this was huge for us last year. Um, we really utilized the senior bowl. We had, you know, Luke Getze, um, being, you know, one of the main coaches, um, having, I think we ended up with four coaches at the senior bowl and then one or two coaches at the shrine bowl. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, first example of, or first time to really get to touch and talk to a lot of these prospects and really start off the grouping strong. Um, it's been noted that this week, you know, they'll really do the senior bowl, shrine bowl, and then they'll do three weeks of meetings before the combine hits. So getting this little bit of extra information, I just think is nothing but a positive. Yeah. Uh, Richard Hightower was the head coach for the shrine bowl for the East team. Uh, so he had, you know, we're familiar with that whole roster now because of Hightower working with them. And Burganzi was the defensive coordinator for the East team as well. So we have a lot of familiarity with guys that were on that team. And then, as you mentioned, we had quite a few position coaches for the senior bowl as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really different approach than I think we've seen. It just highlights that this is a front office that prioritizes building through the draft, you know, doing the thorough process that they do each year. And all of this has just been impressive. I mean, they, I mean, we, we saw it last year, Stevenson, um, there, there's a lot of good guys, senior bowl darn up right, of course that they mm -hmm. identified really. And then you just, now you get that extra step to do the homework. So let's dive into senior bowl and probably not as much shrine bowl for those who don't know, you know, senior bowl this year started adding juniors to the group. So senior bowl seen as the more, I'm not gonna say pro bowl or anything like that, but it's just a place for where a lot of people are about to enter the draft and kind of show their talents, get to know NFL teams. Um, <clears throat> Shrine Bowl has that as well. Hula Bowl is another one where a lot of prospects get out there and get to meet teams before the combine hits and before a lot of things go out there. So it's really the first event for in the off season for a lot of teams to get to know prospects and to prep for the uh, draft, which is in April, of course. So let's talk about it. So. Let's go through. So we're going to break down the positions that are in the Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowl, do a little bit of a breakdown. Why don't you guys go through, not talk about it, but talk which positions you're going to break down and then, you know, kind of your focus when you're looking at people through these two bowl games. Yeah, so the groups I did was quarterbacks, running backs, and then linebackers. Uh, I, I'm not going to focus a ton of time when, when I talk about the guys that I want to highlight, I'm not going to focus a lot on the quarterbacks because none of those guys, I don't think the bears are going to pick and the linebackers linebackers, arguably our strongest position. So I'm not going to dive deep on the linebackers as well. I'm just going to give some names out, kind of give a little bit of what they do well, how the league kind of use them, that kind of thing for those positions. And then running back, we'll talk a little bit more about. Awesome. And then, uh, Brian, what are you breaking down for us today? Um, so I have the pass catchers and then the secondary. So there'll be wide receivers, tight ends, corner, which probably will not be a huge need, but Poles does seem to like to collect uh, corner talent throughout his drafts. And safety will definitely be a need. So I'll try to touch upon the majority of my prospects are probably going to be from the senior bowl, but I have one or two names from the shrine bowl that will, uh, I'll be able to provide too. 
Awesome. And then I'm going to be taking O-line and D-line. This includes edge defenders, of course. And I could I could spend the entire hour talking about it. It's an absolutely loaded group. And I think it's huge that Dre was one of the O-line coaches that was there because there's just so much talent, especially with them adding in the juniors. But a few people who were injured that were missing. But I'm going to break down. I've got I'm going to really focus in on where I think we're going to be targeting people. And I'm going to gloss over a few people we've talked about the last few weeks. So um, who wants to start us off and go through a few different names that Bears fans should be familiarized with, maybe some people they haven't heard about before that you're able to get a chance to watch or break down? Um, I can go first. I, I can just do the quarterbacks, kind of knock those guys out because they're the, you know, quarterbacks kind of run the draft a little bit. So I'll talk a little bit about those guys and kind of where the league views them, even though they're not going to be Bears targets. Um, So I'll be kind of quick with them. Um, The biggest takeaway, well, first, the four quarterbacks I'm going to highlight is Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Spencer Rattler, and Talua Teglovoa, who was at the Shrine Bowl. The other three were at the Senior Bowl. The biggest takeaway um, for the Senior Bowl was that no one really separated from the pack. A lot of teams were thinking, you know, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, like which one's going to be QB1 after this week of practices. League, the teams didn't really get an answer. Uh, Bo Nix was pretty brutal start of the week, and he had a decent finish. He, he played in the Senior Bowl, but only like two drives. It was nothing really special. It was just kind of a mixed bag for Bo Nix overall. There was a lot of rumors, you know, where he'll be drafted. That was also mixed bag. Uh, that's going to be kind of a – Takeaway you're going to hear about Bo Nix is just mixed bag. Some people love him. Some people can't stand him uh, because they just see him from the Auburn days. He was an Oregon quarterback, um, but as I mentioned just now, he played at Auburn for first two to three years, and his Auburn career ended very poorly. So a lot of people still have, you know, that Auburn career of his in the back of their mind when they watch Bo Nix. Uh the thought seems to be he'll be drafted before Michael Penix. That was kind of the rumors uh, coming around in the Senior Bowl, and he'll likely become a first-round selection. But we don't know. He wasn't that fantastic at the Senior Bowl. Michael Penix, he also kind of had a mixed practice. Uh, his arm talent, though, was noticeable. Uh, people were saying, you know, he had great velocity, great arm strength. I personally have Penix higher than Nix. I think Penix is just the better overall quarterback. Uh, he has better arm talent and just his pocket awareness, I think, is better than Bo Nix. Um, he did opt out of playing, so Michael Penix did not play in the Senior Bowl at all, whereas the other quarterbacks all did play. And my, I don't think I mentioned it, but Michael Penix is the quarterback out of Washington. My third quarterback was Spencer Rattler. Uh, he was the quarterback for South Carolina. He was named the MVP of this uh, the Senior Bowl game. He... Uh, for those that don't know, he was originally at Oklahoma, and he lost his job to Caleb Williams. Uh, he lost his job against Texas in the Red River shootout. Uh, after that game, Caleb, you know, took over, and then he eventually transferred to USC with Lincoln Riley. But Spencer Rattler's Oklahoma career was done, and he went to South Carolina, where it seemed, you know, he kind of matured uh, as a player and a person. There was a lot of, you know, issues with Spencer Rattler, especially with kind of the personal character concern-wise. It seems he's kind of cleans those up and he could be a day two selection is what, what the rumors from Mobile, Alabama were saying. And then Taula Taiwavoa, uh, if that name sounds familiar, yes, that is Tua's brother. He is the quarterback from Maryland. He kind of had, he played at the Shrine Bowl. 
he kind of has an interesting case. Um, the background on him is he submitted a waiver to play his seventh season in the NCAA. The NCAA denied his waiver, so he basically was forced to enter the draft. Uh, he ended up taking over Cam Ward's spot. Uh, Cam Ward is a quarterback that was going to declare for the draft, but he changed his mind and is now the quarterback for Miami. He transferred from Washington State to Miami. Uh, so he's a name to look out for for next year's draft. Um, but Tyola took over his spot, and he he looked really great at the Shrine Bowl. A lot of people were saying he was kind of the MVP of the week at the Shrine Bowl. He's probably going to be a day three player just because he's pretty small. He's only 5'10", like 200 pounds, but he has a ton of experience and he leads the Big Ten all time in passing yards. So that's a name to look look out for. And that's quarterbacks. I was going to say, after six years, I mean, you'd hope that he'd... I mean, I I think the big thing, you know, as a Bears fan that we're looking at in that group and that I'm paying attention to is, and there's always debate on how much does a person's stock drop after the season ends versus when it gets to the combine when, you know, there's no real football played. There's this inner part of me that's just hoping that in case we do trade fields that Knicks, Penix, JJ all do these like terrible off seasons so that their value drops so that teams only see the value in either fields or moving up. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Penix as well, so I'm glad he'd broken that down. And, you know, I live in Oregon, Bo Nix, I've watched a lot of him. Um, it's an alma mater of a lot of my family here, so it's it's fun. I never actually got to watch his Auburn day, so I have none of that um, previous exactly. I only have the Oregon example, so I I've never watched him from three years ago. Um, so I just I don't see all the negatives that are there. It's something I need to go back and watch. But I think that you did a good breakdown on them. Of it'll be it'll be fascinating where they go, and I think team fit and if they're allowed to get some time will be really interesting. Um, it only takes yeah. one team to love somebody. I mean, Levis was somebody who everyone thought last year could be top four, top five to Indy. Then he went in the top of the second round because once you hit a certain peak that people aren't willing to spend a first rounder on, where do you fall to? Um, so, yeah, very interesting breakdown and except to uh, kind of see where these guys land. I do want to mention something really quick about Penix that I did not highlight when I was talking about him. The reason why Bo Nix is kind of viewed higher in the league than Michael Penix is because Michael Penix had four straight years of season-ending injuries. He had two ACL surgeries, and then he had a sternoclavicle injury and then another shoulder injury. So there is every year at Indiana, because that's where he played before transferring to Washington, he ended up hurt. Uh, So that's going to be a major hurdle he's going to have to overcome is those medicals will check out. That's the reason why Bo Nix is seen slightly higher than Michael Penix. I don't think it has anything to do with talent. I think it just has to do with the medicals. Yeah. And that's a good part. And the ACL being on the same leg, your same knee each time is that's that's a big thing. I mean, especially with how long he's been in the league, and could be a big reason why he didn't play in the game. I mean, any injury he suffers this offseason could be, I mean, just devastating to his and you know where he could end up. So, all right. So we talked to QBs a little bit. So I'll start with the wide receivers. Um, there's not much from the Shrine Bowl that I would probably maybe would be of pertinent interest to us. The one name that will pop out and college football fans will recognize this name and then you can inevitably link this with the Caleb rumors uh, would be Taj Washington from USC. Uh, pretty much would probably be relegated mostly to a slot receiver uh, at the next level, five, nine and a half, about 180. Uh, very good lateral quickness. Um, I think he did get nicked up a little bit, but he is explosive. 
obviously has rapport with Caleb. If and that becomes a possibility for us, you will definitely hear the Brandon Rice, Taj Washington rumors to Chicago. Um, but I think that would potentially be a need. Um, Lad McConkey from Georgia, uh, another slot guy who could probably play outside as well, was super productive at Georgia. Um, I feel like, except for Taj Washington, almost every one of the guys I'm going to mention was made in like a factory because they're all about six foot and they're all about 190. Um, so except for the tight end. Uh, the next guy, again, very popular, familiar name with uh, college football fans, Roman Wilson, who had a good playoff. Uh, you know, just a really solid all-around receiver. I know we've talked about him. Um, I believe he was the prospect of the week uh, earlier in the series. So he's just just a dependable guy, probably day three you're looking at. And then similar to Ricky Pearsall from Florida, 6'1", 190, uh, had a pretty productive week for receivers. Uh, know this podcast is new, so you're none of you are familiar with my undying love and devotion to Darnell Mooney. Uh, we might be looking at Darnell 2.0. Uh, Jaquan Jackson, 5'11", 185, out of Tulane. Uh, he, I got a chance to watch a little bit of his film. Had a, some drops against Ole Miss. If you, one thing you will look when you look at both his film and his stats, all his touchdowns are very long. Uh, 87-yard reception against USC, 90-yard punt return, 35-yard catch, 41-yard catch, and so on. He's a tremendous returner, which is something that we definitely need to upgrade. And uh, he is somebody that will definitely be, quote unquote, my guy uh, in the process going forward. So just Jaquan Jackson from Tulane, keep that name in mind. So that's what I have for the receivers. I love it. I mean, there's there's so much talent and wide receiver this year. I mean, it's just fascinating every single time. You know, you go on Twitter or you, you know, you listen to the other draft podcasts are out there. There's just somebody new that's highlighted that's dominating. And I think that, I mean, no hype rule here. I think this could be one of the best wide receiver classes we've seen in the last decade with just talent. You've got height, you've got speed, you've got different types of receivers. And I don't think that even previous years where you saw really good classes, you'd see so many guys who are six one plus, who are six seven, who are, you know, you've got such yeah. a range of people this year. It's absolutely wild i mean we're going to talk a lot about mox but i mean i think that a lot of teams are going to want to see one to two guys and you know with free agency being as barren as it is a wide receiver it's just going to be a really fun conversation i mean brian probably could have talked for 30 to 45 minutes on candidates just in there we probably could have spent a whole episode on it so um yeah thoughts on the wide receivers listen uh, it's just it's just a great class as you highlighted. I will really like to see us double up at receiver at the drafts, um, just because of the talent that they have. I I love Lad McConkey. I'm a big Lad McConkey person. Uh, I don't know why he goes by Lad. It's his middle name. His first name's Andrew. But why not? I, Lad <laughs> Lad McConkey's a dude. I, he's he's very fun to watch. Lad McConkey would be like a very Chicago name. <laughs> it would. <laughs> Hey, and wasn't it? Uh, is he one of the guys who Caleb Williams liked on uh, on Twitter? He did. Yes. Caleb retweeted and liked a video of Lad McConkey cooking a DB. Tank Dell 2.0. Yeah, it is. It's our Tank Dell. Get ready. <laughs> Caleb Williams social media watch always fun. Um, and uh, so we'll, I'll hop in. So I'll talk. I'll talk D line first, and then I'll let you guys get through kind of your other positions. So there's there's so many 
good D-line people. I made a list of people I'm not even going to mention that I probably should have got into. Uh, Adisa Isaacs in there. Uh, Chris Broswell out of um, Alabama's there. Uh, Tamandre Sweat, I'm not going to talk about a lot. I see him as a round one lock, but I don't see him. <laughs> oh, I did not. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I got distracted. Alyssa's uh, Texas fan there. But he's. I just see him as a round one lock. I don't see him in the realm of where we would grab him um but you know maybe he just keeps blowing up and he's somebody who could be a trade back option um the two guys i really want to talk about at least at the edge position we talked about one a little bit so i'm not going to get into it um Leonti latu from uh, ucla he's an edge rusher who is there um he had a really good week you know some people say he didn't dominate as much as you would want but he's just very very good at his hands. He's got a very refined pass set. I don't know in regards to if you compare him to Verse or if you compare him to Dallas Turner, if he fits exactly what Flus and Pulse have wanted because he has that extensive injury history. Um, you know, he played at Washington and they said that he should probably never play football again. So I, I think that he could fit this game and he might be the best day one pass rusher that's there, but I'm not sure if he's a fit for what Pulse and Flus have looked at before. Um, somebody who... I think it was kind of made in a lab and he was just exploding all week at the uh, senior bowl was Darius Robinson. He's a edge out of uh, Missouri. Um, he is 6'5", 200, almost 90 pounds. His length is almost at 35 inches. I mean, these are, uh, I mean, when, when you see the reports, when you see you watch, when you watch him, he's a guy who holds up well against the run, violent. They considered him unblockable all week. Um, I mean, people had him in third, fourth round. <clears throat> There's talk about him going round one, maybe, uh, after the Senior Bowl, which I don't think anyone's stock changes that much or that dramatically. But how they used him in Missouri this year changed a lot, where they put him on the edge specifically, and he was just just a menace all year. So somebody who I think that if we do pass on round one edge and we get that early second rounder, that would be a big target for them. I mean, having that size, having that speed on the opposite side of Montez Sweat is, and especially the developmental portion, we just hired Washington, who's a D-line coach and assistant head coach out of the Bills, giving him that developmental guy. Um, just a lot of excitement for Darius Robinson. So I mean, those are the two edges that were there. I'm going to pull up my notes on, I'm going to talk about two defensive tackles now who I think are really interesting for kind of different ways. Uh, the first one is Brandon Norlis. He's a defensive tackle out of Oregon, 6'3", 290 pounds. And Oregon's defensive scheme is a little bit unique. He played more on the outside rushing tackles than he did on the interior. I see him more as a three technique. Um, and I think that we need to continue to add to that position with how important it is on our defense. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Dexter can definitely take that step into that role. But with us losing Justin Jones in free agency, I'm looking for, you know, somebody who could be in that second, third, maybe fourth round. I'm not a great predictor on where these people would go. I think Doros has a lot of, and I could be pronouncing this uh, name wrong, has a lot of potential in the league. He's extremely strong. He uses hands well, but it'd be a very new position for him because it's not what he was asked to do in college. It's kind of similar to what we had with our D tackles last year where we kind of asked him to play differently. He plays a little bit too upright than what you would want in a prospect, but a lot of the tools are there. I think he'd be a very good run defender day one and the effort's always there. And that's something that I'm going to keep looking at or, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about um, oh no, what, what's, what's, um, even Fleece's mantra hits the hits acronym, but it is something that I look at for players. So <clears throat> Brandon Dorless, 
was one. The second one I'm going to talk about is Braden Fisk. He is another 6'3", 295-pound defensive tackle, and this guy screams Eberflus and Poles type of pick. Extreme burst, gives 110% from the first snap. He's one of those guys who, like, you know, maybe a tackle gets past him and he chases him 80 yards downfield and ends up making that tackle just all effort. I mean, just absolutely explosive. If you want a developmental three technique to take, you know, if he gets in that second, third round range, this is the type of guy you're going to be looking at. Um, he's a really good athlete. You know, he needs to refine his moveset a little bit. He, what he was asked to do again, he's got a lot of, the athletic is there, the talent is there, but he needs to be coached. He's one of those just how he uses hands isn't as good right now. His moveset's not going to be great to start off, but you've got everything else there that you can't really teach. So again, I could dive in and talk a lot about like six, seven other people. You know, if he's there in the second, third round, I think that that's another one, maybe even fourth. Again, these can vary a lot based off kind of how they're viewed. Some good developmental pieces to really help with the defensive line of scrimmage. So I went for a long time there. I could talk to these guys for a while, and that's why I had to limit myself um, because they're just so many good players. I'm glad we're getting a look at them here. Any of your guys' thoughts on the D-line for Senior Bowler Shrine? Yeah, I've just heard that Fisk, both Fisk and Delora, just were killing it at the Senior Bowl, especially Fisk. And I do agree with you that uh, it would be a Poles and Eberflus kind of player there. So I think that's a name that Bears fans should be watching out for, especially when the combine and whatnot starts popping up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think all three names you like mentioned check many of the boxes that they look at, but I think Robinson fits that mold the best because he, Mm -hmm. they like generally bigger defensive ends, bigger edges. And he also has positional versatility. He played down the line at Missouri. So I think that's something, and he's kind of caught my eye because I was looking at the measurables. His production was pretty good this year. Um, he played in the SEC, so you really can't question like level of competition. Um, so yeah, they're all three names. Adorless, I know, has a lot of fans uh, in the community, and same thing with Fist. So I mean, we could end up with any one of those three; would not be shocking. Fast forward yeah. three months from now, so yeah, um, well, last ones here. I'll go next. I'll do the linebackers because they're going to be very quick. Um, the big takeaway for linebackers here is practices are kind of hard for for linebackers in the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl because there's no live tackling, really. It's just all drill work. So it's hard for linebackers to stand out. Since the Bears are absolutely set at linebacker, we're, you know, we're not really going to take any of these guys. But the first name I want to shout out is Peyton Wilson. Uh, he is probably going to be the first off-ball linebacker off the board, if I had to guess. He won the Buckus Award. Uh, he's fantastic off-ball linebacker. He's just really athletic, and he's also physical at the same time. Uh, his big problem, though, is just his injury issues. He's torn his shoulder before. He's had ACL injuries, so that could maybe set him back on the board. But talent-wise, I would say he's the best off-ball linebacker in the class. The second name that's been standing out at this senior bowl was J.D. Bertrand, uh, the Notre Dame linebacker. He's kind of the opposite of Peyton Wilson, where Wilson is athletic and physical. You know, Bertrand is kind of the smart, intangibles, not athletic, but just overall smart linebacker, traditional leader type, uh, and he just knows how to be involved in plays. He'll probably go day three because of his lack of athleticism, but that's a name that was very popular for the linebackers in the senior bowl was J.D. Bertrand. 
And my tight end group will also be very brief um, as well. Um, there was a few names. There's uh, Brevin Span forward from Minnesota, um, who's 6'6", 250, probably would fit that, you know, if they're going to, I assume, move on from Tunyon and try to get a younger, cheaper, and more effective option. Jaheim Bell from Florida State, he's a little bit of a smaller tight end. Um, so I don't know how that would fit into like the blocking requirements that they generally have. He kind of got lost in in the shuffle at Florida State with Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Benson. Uh, the guy that I really want to spend the majority of the time on, though, is Theo Johnson, who I've gotten a chance to see quite a bit over the years at Penn State. Penn State receiving core this year was a big step down from what they're accustomed to having in Happy Valley. Um, he's 6'6", 254. I've read that they expect him to be running the four fives, uh, which I don't necessarily know if that translates on the field, but Penn State does produce a lot of freaks when it comes to athleticism. But I think the main thing is he's basically a two-way tight end. He can block, he can catch. Um, he actually was one of their few really dependable uh, targets for Drew Aller. Um, so they have... There's a lot of untapped potential. They also had a very crowded tight end room. Penn State generally has one of the better tight end rooms in the country year in, year out. Um, so I think he's the next in the line. I don't think he'll go as high as Strange went last year. But if he tests well in Indy, then who knows? Yeah, I mean, he's been a fascinating name. And I think that that's a room they really need to add to. I mean, we need we need somebody. We only have Cole Komet under contract next year. There's some free agents we've talked about. So... Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of day three memes that are out there that are going to be fascinating at the position. Um, I'm going to go into the O-line portion now. I'm just going to hit up some of the names. And again, I'm going to pass on some of these. Uh, Talisa Fuaga, I've already talked about as my prospects of the week. For, you know, for the first week, love him. He did great. He's going to be awesome. Jackson Powers Johnson dominated all all week. I mean, he went from somebody who maybe Bears fans are dreaming might be there pick 40 to he's likely going late first before we get there. Um, but he was, I mean, the big thing on him was he ended up being 330 pounds and the way he moves is just, it's a freak. Uh, it's an absolute freak of a position. And he, he would be that dream prospect of, I'm not going to put him right in that Tyler Lindebaum you know, portion where he was the most elite center prospect, you know, the MHJ of center prospects who went, you know, pick 20 is because that's how centers go. But he's for interior O-line, knowing that he can play both guard spots and center, that's an extremely valuable asset. So I won't talk about him. I talked about him last week in the mock as well. I'm also going to pass over Zach Frazier, who was invited there, but didn't play because he had the broken leg. And then Jordan Morgan, I'm going to pass on a little bit as well. So the guys I really want to talk to are going to be interior O-linemen. My focus was really going to be on positions that I think we can attack. <clears throat> the first one that I really want to note is Christian Haynes. He was an offensive guard uh, out of UConn this year. And <clears throat> when I look at O-linemen that Poles is targeted and talked about, these are going to be guys who are good athletes, can move. I mean, we, we're, we can talk about Raz, which is res relative athletic score a lot. Um, but they're also good finishers, people who can just inflict pain on the defense and i think that he really loves them to have that kind of nasty element um my prospect of the week is going to be somebody who's in the shrine bowl but 
Um, I'll, I'll talk to him later, who I think is one of the best in the draft at that. <clears throat> um, some other things with Christian Haynes, though, offensive guard, played mainly right guard. He played 40 straight starts, 40-plus straight starts. I think it's somewhere between, like, 40 and 49. So just one of those consistently good players that um, <clears throat> he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. Um <laughs> because he but he didn't play a lot of elite competition this was a huge week for him because he needed to go up against some of these guys you know some of the best in the NFL because he played at UConn so he would be your you know a lot of people have him as a third rounder I don't think he gets past pick 50 I just don't see any huge glaring you know things that he needs to work on as a guard I think he's gotten better each year so he has the health he plays with balance or with the violence he's a good athlete he's got good balance he can play in the zone scheme can play in the power run so I think that he's just a really good guard prospect he's probably going to be there gone by the early 50s he's there in the third round he's kind of that a really good name to watch out for for us if he, you know he gets to pick 76 because it would be really nice to start building up some depth there uh, second one I'm going to talk about, and there's a lot of centers I probably could have talked about, but I want to talk about Bo Limmer a little bit. He's the center out of Arkansas. Um, he's famous this week for there's a rap where Tamandre Sweat absolutely clears a center because he gets mad about some play before, and that actually happens to be Bo. But I think that Sweat at 380 pounds is going to do that to a lot of people in a one-on-one -on -one drill. And don't look at one-on-one -on -one drills a lot when you're doing blocking because it's just that's not how O-lines work. But um, but so Bo Limmer, he was a center last year at Arkansas. He was the right guard the three years previous. I think that he was actually a little bit better at right guard than he was at center, but that's what they asked him to play for his fifth year. Um, that was there, but just having that flexibility, he's going to be a day three type for me that really good movement. He's very smart. He understands how to get to places. Um, he does not have the strongest anchor. And that's why I brought up the sweat thing before he can get overpowered and he can get pushed back. But what I think he provides is if we're looking for that type of guy, and let's say we pay a Lloyd Cushenberry or, you know, one of the other centers, if we're looking for that day three guy who can back up center and back up right guard, he's be that perfect round four where we have two of those guys. Um, to where, you know, he'd really fit into what our plan is. So he's somebody who I got to watch a lot, and there is so much good there that I think fits what we looked at. So that's going to be my offensive line breakdown. Somebody I'm going to talk about a little bit later at the end of the episode is Christian Mahogany out of uh, Boston College. So, but I'll save that for the end because I absolutely loved watching him. So I'm going to, I'm going to gush about him a little bit later. So those are mine. Yeah, I like the Christian Haynes pick. Uh, he, he had a really good senior bowl. I saw some clips of him. He absolutely stonewalled some LSU defensive tackle in the one-on-one -on -one drills. This this LSU defensive tackle got so mad, he, like, ripped off Christian Haynes' helmet and threw it. And Christian Haynes said, if you're scared, go to church, which I think is a pretty hilarious line, and it's just pretty good demeanor. So I do like that shout-out. Uh, Brian, do you have anything you want to say before I hop into the running backs? No, I agree. I like Haynes a lot, too. I've heard a lot of good things about him throughout the week. So yeah. I think that was another good solid list by Tim. All right. So for the running backs, um, I have three guys. One of the guys is going to be my prospect of the week. So I'll talk about him at the end of the episode. So I will talk about two guys right now. They both were at the Shrine Bowl. Um, the big takeaway for the running back group uh, this draft is there's no Bijan. There's no Jameer Gibbs. There's no top running back in this class. But there's a lot of contributors out here. There's a lot of people that can make an impact on a team. My first name will be Frank Gore Jr. Yes, Frank Gore already has a son that's draft eligible. He, he went to Southern Miss. 
He's about 5'8", 201 pounds. Uh, he just had an overall good week at the Shrine Bowl. He had a 49-yard rushing touchdown to open up the game. Just pretty good footwork and hands. Just a really tough runner, kind of like how his dad was. Um, and he'll be a day three player, most likely. I don't think he'll be day two, but he'll be day three, good complimentary back kind of player. My second name is Blake Watson. He also was to the Shrine Bowl. He went to Memphis. He's about 5'9", 185. Uh, he was also at the Hula Bowl, which the Bears did meet with him at the Hula Bowl. So the Bears have had exposure now to Blake Watson at the Hula Bowl and now at the Shrine Bowl. He's finished with almost, um, in the game for the Shrine Bowl, he finished with almost 100 yards from scrimmage with six receptions. He's a pretty good uh, pass catcher, smart player. Um, there was a carry where he kind of shakes a DB out, and instead of running to – it was a clear lane. He could have easily scored, but they were winning. The time was going down. So he just got down on the ground and didn't score to keep the clock running to end the game, which I thought was a really smart move, especially in an all-star game. Like you don't need to do that, but it just shows football IQ and awareness there. Um, he is probably going to be day three as well, but he's someone I'm intrigued to watch more of. And I do know that the bears have met with him before. So that's a name I wanted to shout out. And then I'll talk about my other running back at the end of the episode. Okay. Um, so yeah, the last position group that I have is kind of combined with the secondary cornerbacks and safeties. You could make a very good argument that cornerback is not a very big need. Um, but again, we're assuming Jalen's back, but Jalen's had injury histories. Terrell Smith had injury issues. Stevenson missed some time. Uh, Eddie's probably moving on and we know Jaquan Brisker gets hurt like five times every game. So um, I did want to focus on quite a few. Uh, there's a few guys I'll just mention really quick. Most of these are between 5'10 to 6 foot, depending on what site you go to as far as listing. Max Melton from Rutgers, who is Bo Melton's brother. Um, he had a pretty solid week. Uh, Tyke Smith from Georgia is a safety. He also uh, finished out a really strong week. I believe he had a pick. He's been obviously a fixture in Georgia secondary. He's played the star uh, nickel role. So he has some versatility that can play safety. Also play nickel in a pinch. Uh, Jarius Monroe is a, they have him listed as a corner. I think he might be able to play safety. He's from Tulane. He is a, a solid six, six foot one, 205. He had a pick in the East West Shrine game. And Jarvis Brownlee from Louisville is a cornerback uh, from Louisville. Again, six foot, 190. These are bigger corners uh, that will, you know, check the box as far as size go. They all have pretty decent ball production, uh, which is another thing that they look for in the hits principle. And uh, Quinion Mitchell is a corner from Toledo, is going to be a first-round pick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him because he will likely be drafted by somebody else and will be long gone before he would be on our radar. Uh, one other guy that did stand out is Shao Smith-Wade from Washington State. He's a little bit smaller. But he had two interceptions, including a pick six, uh, that he showed pretty good return skills. Again, I don't know where he'll fit. He's probably still day three at this point. Um, I will cover somebody that I unfortunately already did cover because I got so enthusiastic about them. Uh, I already talked about them, but I have more to talk about them. So that will be my prospect of the week later on. 
Awesome. So, I mean, we covered a lot of names at the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl. And again, there's a lot more that are out there. Our goal today was just to kind of give you a brief breakdown of some Bears fits, kind of some interesting names that we really liked. Again, a lot of the people we talk about are people who we think Bulls and Eberflus will like that'll fit in the system because that's kind of what's matched recently with what we've been drafting and what we've, you know, you know, been seeing with the Bears is something we like to track. So, um, we are going to end off on our prospect of the week today um, and just break down some different guys that we really liked um, and how they fit in there. So I'm going to go ahead and hop into my only Shrine Bowl guy. And there are other good Shrine Bowl people that I really wanted to see, like Mo Kamara and a few other in the D-line. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to hop into uh, an offensive lineman again. So it, it was going to be Christian Mahogany. Um, he is 6'3", 322 pounds out of Boston College. And he might be the most violent offensive lineman coming out this year. Um, and that could be to his detriment, but he is a high-end athlete. He wants to hurt people um, in a good way. And I don't mean this like he's an often penalized, dirty player or anything like that, but he goes for, um, you know, if somebody jumps, he's going to knock him to the ground. He And this can be to his detriment a little bit. He plays uh, right guard. I should know that. He's played right guard for a long time over there, but I think he can play both sides. Most people see him in that round two, round three, round four range. Um, I, I would give him a strong mid-second round grade just because the upside is there, the athleticism is there, the <clears throat> the violence that he plays with is there, and I think that that's a big part of the line. I think that in going for <clears> – <throat> just punishing people that he can be beaten. He really needs to work on patience a little bit. He needs to work on, you know, just understanding pass rush moves a little bit. He's just one of those guys who will go after people too much and the edge and defense line have been playing for a long time. Can use that against him? But he's another one of those. I talked about Christian Haynes a little bit, and I like Haynes more. Uh, But he's another guy who will be, if he's in that third round range, we need to build that depth in the interior O-line. And I think we've got a really good coaching staff to get there. So my prospects of the week, Christian Mahogany. And who doesn't win mahogany on the O-line? What a great name. Um, just a lot of fun there. So that is mine. Yeah, it's a good good name. I've been hearing a lot about him even, you know, before the season started. A lot of people were talking about him as a interior line prospect. So that's a good shout out. Uh, my guy I am doing is Dylan Lobby, the running back from New Hampshire. Uh, he was at the Senior Bowl. And if you look at really any, like, who was the winners and losers of the Senior Bowl, like, you see Dylan Lobby's name on every single winner list. He's 5'9", 210 pounds. He's he's great in the receiving game. Like, his bread and butter in the NFL is going to be as a pass catcher. He can line up outside. He His routes, but he's not at all like Christian McCaffrey. I'm not going to say he's Christian McCaffrey, but like his route running ability is Christian McCaffrey-esque and where he can just, you know, be out wide, run a route, have separation about ability like a wide receiver, um, except he's running back. He has really good vision, especially in like zone schemes. I think he works really well in zone. He does have really good special team ability as well. He had four returning uh, returning touchdowns both kick and punt return combined. It was four, which is a really high number. He's the only player in college, both FBS and FCS, to rush for 1,000 yards and have over 100 receptions in a career. Uh, and he, his, his problem, I think, is his athleticism, though. 
He doesn't seem all that explosive, but he does have quick feet. pretty agile, but he just doesn't seem explosive, and his speed is lacking. Uh, there was a lot of times where he would get beat to the edge, and the fact that he's, you know, at New Hampshire, like his competition is not that high, and he was still getting, you know, beat out on a foot race is not the greatest look for him, but I think he's going to be a name that kind of rises throughout this process just because of the ability he gives you in, in the passing game. He kind of gives – you know, that kind of mold of like Kyron Williams, Austin Eckler, like Danny Woodhead, like that's the kind of player Dylan Lobby is, which I think teams will value because, you know, they've shown to be successful in the NFL, like Darren Sproles as well. Um, so I think he's going to be one of kind of in that mold and be a D3 selection, maybe late day two, depending on if he tests better than what his athleticism looks like on the tape. Um, but I'm going to guess he's day three, but good player. I always like those small school running backs. So yeah. So I did a poor job of already sort of talking about my player of the week because I got so excited about Jaquan Jackson. So I love a bonus prospect of the week uh, for this week, which is Xavier Leggett from South Carolina. I don't think he had like lit the world on fire in Mobile, but I think he did okay. Um, he is a fifth year senior at one place which is a dying breed at this point where he didn't transfer 20 times and stayed with one coaching staff um revered bears off former bears offensive coordinator dow logan's um has sang his praises that he did everything the right way um he is a physical freak and should test out of the gym in indy if he decides to run or if it's in columbia and does at the south carolina pro day Whereas last year was pretty much mostly all short receivers. This is a pretty good mix of sizes and speeds. He's probably in the upper echelon in terms of that size speed ratio. He was Rattler's preferred target this year. He, you know, made plays throughout the year and continually got better. There is going to be some questions. Why did he only produce in one year? And why did he not produce the previous years in Columbia? But he did a really good job, um, you know, working at his craft, putting in the time, doing everything the right way. He's somebody that right now is probably, I would say, second round. But if he blows the top off uh, running and, you know, tests well, he's probably going to be maybe a trade back option. And that Brian Thomas, you know, Lad McConkey, whatever, second half for the first round range. So Xavier Leggett is my uh, my bonus player of the week. That's uh, a fun one. I put him into my mock last week, and he was early second for me. Of course, I thought he was 6'3", but that's a college 6'3", which means that's an NFL 6'1". <laughs> yeah. But he does a lot of things really well. I think he would match up with Caleb Williams or Justin Fields or any of those skill sets. You know, there are a lot of people have that DK Metcalf comp, and I know you're not giving that personally, but that that. Um, something that was out there that we know Shane Waldron had dealt with before, but I mean, that's the conversation or, you know, we need to match guys to Waldron's offense and we also need to match people to the quarterback. So next week is going to be the great quarterback debate for us. We are going to break down the top prospects in the college draft, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, everyone's favorite Bo Nix. Um, we'll, we'll probably stick with the top three. We're going to talk a lot about Justin Fields next week, uh, potential landing spots, even including Chicago as a landing spot, though he's already here, and really, really dive into the scenarios <clears throat> um, and just kind of go through what our conclusions are as of early February. So 
Thank you for listening with us. Episode three of the Windy City War Room, and we will see you next week.